My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Fine and is produced by Mecco Radio. Hey guys, Alex popping in just before we get into today's show to make the simple request that you leave us a review. Helps people find us and it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. You might be able to do that in your podcatcher of choice. And if not, we do have a link in the show notes that'll take you right to Podchaser, which is basically the IMDb of podcasting. So you can head there, leave us a review, makes us feel absolutely wonderful, and lets us know how we're doing as well. And with that, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I am joined by Mark Stovall. Okay, so just a heads up, Mark got arrested. (laughs) It's a great story. The rest of the episode is good too, but this story is worth the listen on its own, so make sure you stay tuned. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mark Stovall, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you. Uh, I always start off every single interview with how we know each other. Do you want to share a little bit about how we got in touch? Sure. Through a, through a friend, I was invited to be on a, on a secret podcast, one that gets into our past, uh, the nitty gritty of our past. And that's where I met you. So that podcast will remain unnamed. Uh, but that's where we met and really, really interested in podcasting and and kind of the art that is so popular right now of of podcasting interviews documentaries uh just with the voice yeah it is a really really cool medium and i'm glad we got in touch we've had a few great conversations since our first meeting and so i'm really interested in this one because i get to hear a little bit more about your individual experience and and your life personally so with that let's let's get into it where are you from originally uh, I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Spent, you know, the first 18 years of my life there living with my parents and kind of just, I think, had a regular childhood. My parents uh, stayed together, you know, my entire life, which is which is nice. They're still together, and I, and I kind of thought that was a norm until, or the norm until I left home at 19 years old and found that. Yeah, that 50% divorce rate exists. And, you know, I was unique in that my family was together. I don't know why I brought that up, but that's the case. I, I felt like I had a pretty normal, stable childhood. I had friends that I visited, you know, on my street. Every summer we would go to my grandparents on both sides. We'd go to their farms, spend a lot of time with farm animals, climbing farm equipment, and just, you know, spending a lot of time outdoors, learning how to gorge myself on raspberries until I, you know, pooped red and, you know, pick beans and potatoes and and all that good stuff. So overall, you know, I had a pretty comfortable childhood in Southern Alberta. Didn't really, you know, I didn't go east of Saskatoon until I was 19 years old. I I was never on an airplane until I was 19 years old. And the biggest trip that I can remember, well, the biggest trip that I do remember was a car ride out to Vancouver Island, you know, a big 14 hour car ride from Calgary to first Vancouver and then onto the island. And yeah, like overall, I think I had a, a pretty normal, stable childhood. 
Yeah, it's very idyllic sounding. Seeing how like, like your childhood sounds so <laughs> nice. You know, I have some people on, they're like, oh, this was awful and this happened and then this happened. Were you aware at all of like how good you had it as a kid? I think it didn't really come to a head until I was about 12 or 13 years old. I remember finding out that my best friend's first cousin, his dad had cheated on his mom. So I kind of knew my friend's cousin, but I, I well enough to know that I knew who the individuals involved were. And the crazy part was that my friend's cousin's dad had an affair with his wife's good friend who was a neighbor. And it kind of rocked my world because I was like, what? Like, how would that even work into the story here? Now, coming from a religious background, you know, fidelity was like number one. Adultery was like super bad. And so in my mind, I was like, how can like, how can this happen? Like, God is so disappointed in these people. And so that that was kind of a, an awakening for me when I realized that like regular people who I know and who are like adults, they're trusted adults, they're my friends, aunt and uncle, they screwed up big time. And fortunately for both families, I don't know if it was fortunate or whatnot, but both couples stayed together. One of the families moved to a different part of the city and they tried to maintain, you know, a stable family relationship. But that was the first, the first kind of aha moment. Like, you know, I don't know if I equated, you know, that to holy smokes, I have a pretty stable life, but that was the first awakening of, you know, things aren't always as they seem. And no, I do have it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a, like a coming out of the cave and like seeing like, oh, you know, things are a lot more complicated and, and there's a lot more, a lot more going on. How then, uh, I'm curious, like, how did that uh, affect you going forward? Was that something that you continued to think about? Was that something that you were worried about? Because I was never aware of anybody cheating when I was a kid, right? I was, had no idea that that was even a possibility. I was like, no, no, you're, you know, you're married. And so how did that continue to affect you? I remember it stuck in my mind for a long time. I talked to my mom about that. You know, I'm like an early teenager here, but, you know, I held on to that and I use that kind of as one event that kind of helps you kind of grow up. And, you know, as you grow up, you experience things or hear things or, um, you know, experience things firsthand. You know, I didn't have parents that were divorced. Um, I didn't have, you know, any, any major deaths in my family. Like my grandparents lived until I was a teenager. I never lost a sibling. Like we, you know, the only animals that we lost were when I was very young. And then there was like a 12 year period where we didn't lose any animals pets we had a dog and a cat until i like was kind of older to to be able to internalize and understand what's going on now i look at my daughters and i have three daughters and you know we have uh we have pets we have chickens we live on a farm and they are having to kind of experience 
hardship sooner in life, which I don't think is a bad thing. But what I feel like was a disservice to me was that I didn't experience hard things early on in my life. Meaning I didn't have to kind of pull up my boots and kind of, you know, oh shoot, my parents are divorced. Like, and may, and I know there's a lot of people that are emotionally impacted in a negative way because of those divorces, but I don't feel like I had a lot of hardships really at all um, growing up kind of on, on that front. But now that I say that, I think, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur um, I remember eating cheese sandwiches. My, my lunch for most of my junior, junior high life was homemade cookies, which I traded instantly for like fruit funds or you know, <laughs> fruit roll-ups yeah. because I wanted, I didn't get those like sugary snacks and my mom made, you know, homemade chocolate chip cookies, which were a hot commodity and cheese sandwiches and a, maybe a juice box and an orange or apple. And I really had un, you know, <laughs> uninspiring lunches for, for most of my junior high and high school life because we just didn't have a lot of money, which was fine. And I guess that was my hardest hardship. But I think like that was emotionally, I guess, difficult. I didn't wear a lot of brand clothes growing up, brand name clothes. You know, I remember getting made fun of. I was a little tubby when I was younger, but like ultimately... Like I had a pretty stable childhood and uh, the events, emotional events weren't there that some, some people have to deal with. I'm curious to hear what, what you would have changed. Cause obviously, you know, you're not, you're not saying, boy, I wish my parents didn't stay together. Right. <laughs> like, but what I guess now you as a parent, as you know, looking back as on you as a kid and your own experiences and how you've grown up how do you make hard lessons without like inflicting awful things on, on a child or yourself, you know, like, does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I'd mentioned before that I was thinking about, you know, this overarching idea that I've had lately and I kind of want to get into that now. And this is actually a pretty good segue. So, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have to kind of like pull up my bootstraps and say, okay, I have a decision here. I either have to go left or right. Kind of my life was kind of easy that the path was really wide and I never really had to choose one way or the other. And so I just kind of like stayed in this big wide path. But then I went and started doing things that I had to kind of pick paths. Meaning, you know, I spent some time overseas um, when I was 19 years old, went on a Mormon mission, came back. And, you know, even being, even being, you know, in Argentina for two years, the path is pretty wide, meaning we had a schedule set out for us. We didn't have a lot of autonomy as to what we'd spend our time on. And it was a really good year, a really good two years. I learned a lot about myself, a lot about working with people, uh, how to treat people, how to talk to people, how to sell all fantastic skills that I've used in my life. But getting home from Argentina, I really hadn't had to really do something hard. Don't get me wrong, like learning Spanish in Argentina was very, very hard. And there were many times that I wanted to come home. And I guess maybe that was maybe the first, now that I'm saying it out loud, it was that first experience where like I had to buck up and like head right and just kind of stick with, stick with the plan. 
So getting home, I got into university right away. That was disastrous. You know, I was had been speaking Spanish for the last two years and was like in this 18th century lit class where I didn't understand anything. And the first essay essay I wrote, I got this, like I tried to be sarcastic in the essay, but like it was really bad and my English was really poor. And anyways, university, university wasn't at the beginning, wasn't, it was hard for different reasons, but I didn't find it overwhelming. Like I passed and was able to get my degree in, in the time that I wanted to and, and yada, yada, yada. But there was one event uh, during the summer, I, I started working landscaping and I decided to rip up my dad's front porch while him and his, well, my, well, my wife, <laughs> oh my gosh. I decided to rip up my dad's porch while my dad and mom were away on vacation and they didn't even know. And it was a pretty massive porch slash deck that went from the front door all the way down to the driveway. And I, I ripped it up because I'm like, I want to build a deck. And so I, I did something really hard, totally out of my skill set. I ripped it up. And once I ripped it up, I thought, oh, my gosh, I just ripped up this deck that, you know, I had lofty ideas that I could, you know, fix it or replace it before my parents came home in 10 days. And I was... uh you know, there was a gross underestimation of my overestimation of my, of my skills. So that was, that was a hard thing. Like, and I really had to dig deep and be like, okay, well I picked the right side. I took that fork in the road and ripped up this deck and I had to follow through. I felt like I couldn't just like, Hey dad, <laughs> I ripped up your deck. See ya. I'm like, okay, I ripped up this deck. Now I have to learn the skills to replace it. The next summer, I built a retaining wall, which my brother calls the Great Wall of Mark in the backyard. And this thing was monstrous. And I had to move like 500 pieces of stone from our front driveway to our backyard. And thankfully for the local scout group, I didn't have to move all of it by myself, but it took two years to build. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years. Uh, we purchased a house, my wife and I, in, in Calgary, and I decided to renovate the basement of our house. And and again, totally outside my skill set, but I wanted to learn how to do this. So we bought this house. I gutted the basement and kind of picked my path. And you know, financially speaking, we had we were kind of in over our heads with the with the mortgage. I had a good job, but I thought you know this is the only way that's really going to float if we have a renter in the basement. So ripped out the basement down to the studs and just started renovating well beyond my skill set. And there was, there's literally blood, sweat and tears in the root, in the ceiling walls and floor of that basement suite, because obviously I cut myself blood, lots of sweat, lots of hard work. And like, literally there were tears at a point where I'm just like, this is way too much. Like I had, I have no idea what I'm doing. And it was like, I picked hard things to do. And that's kind of been very, very common in my life since returning from Argentina. I've picked hard things to do. You know, my education did university in Calgary, um, did a bachelor of commerce degree. And then I decided to go into accounting, which is not easy. It's not, 
you know, there's lots of people that do it. And, and I did my chartered accountant designation at the time. It was a CA. It's now been unified with other accounting designations. It's the CPA now. And it was a really hard designation. Like it's probably one of the harder financial designations to get in Canada, you know, comparable to, to a CFA. And I didn't, I didn't ever like think that I couldn't do it. It was just like, okay, you know, let's, let's move this mountain one shovel full at a time and just, just go at it. So, you know, your question is how do I create these opportunities to grow or create these emotional situations where I kind of have to like buck up and, um, so as I'm sitting in my basement renovating this house, I'm like completely just dismantled. I'm so frustrated. Um, you know, the schedule's piling up. I feel like the world's ending because we're losing a ton of money while it's not rented, spending a ton of money getting it rented, just feel way in over my head. There's no one I can really turn to. Well, there was, but I was kind of locked in like, no, I got to figure this out myself. And for whatever reason, the lyrics for Lose Yourself by Eminem pop in my head. And and it really amped me up because there was one, there's one lyric that says, success is my only motherfucking option, failure's not. And I remember like pulling myself up off the ground and saying, like, this is my only motherfucking option. And let's go. And that was kind of a, a turning point with with a lot of well the renovations for the basement and that kind of sticks in my head like the power is in me to do it so i look for these hard things to do and i know i can do it because the only option is to succeed hey guys alex popping in here at halftime to remind you to go and leave us a review makes us feel good and it helps people find us but mostly it makes us feel good Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving a review and enjoy the rest of the show. So just funny story. I wanted to share this with you because it kind of came up earlier. So while I was working landscaping, going to university, I um, I used to drive truck for a guy. And, and one time I was carrying stone from one site to another with this big truck and I got pulled over and got this unsecured load ticket for 500 and some odd dollars and got another ticket for faulty registration because it wasn't a commercial truck. It was a personal truck. And I was supposed to, I didn't know this, but I was supposed to lie to the bylaw officer and say, oh no, this is my buddy's truck. This is not my boss's truck. And so anyway, so I give the tickets to my boss. He never pays it. Fast forward two years later, I'm doing an internship with Suncor Energy, a big oil and gas company, downtown Calgary. I'm working downtown. I get a call from my mom and she's like, Hey, um, did you take your car to work today? I'm like, no, I, I take the bus and the train because it's cheaper for parking and whatnot. She's like, well, I think your car has been stolen because there's gas, there's gas, because there's glass on the road and your car's not there. So I call, you know, the non-emergency phone line and I say, hey, my car has been stolen and she takes my information and she, you know, the, the operator, she gets off the phone and she gets back on the phone and she's like, Hey Mark, yeah, we'll, we'll find your car, but there's a warrant for your arrest. <laughs> so we're going to have to figure that out before we look for your car. I'm like, what? 
She's like, yeah, you need to go to like a precinct and just like go fill out some paperwork and <laughs> and then we can find your car. And I'm so confused. I'm like, okay, my car got stolen and there's a warrant for my arrest. So downtown Calgary, there's an old, there's, you know, the first precinct is down there. And so I go down there, uh, essentially walk up to this counter. I'm like, hey, I'm here to pay a warrant. There's a warrant for my arrest take my ID, you know, look up the information. They're like, yeah, there's a warrant for your arrest. Just sit down there and we'll, we'll get it processed. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and like three minutes later, two cops walk up to me and they're like, we need to go. I'm like, what? They're like, uh, you're under arrest. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. And this one cop is like, okay, can you give me your cell phone and your keys and wallet? And I'm like, what? And this other cop's like, no, 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 we don't need to do that. He's like, okay. And then he's like, should we put cuffs on him? And I'm just like, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why, why am I getting cuffed? I came here to pay a warrant. They're like, yeah, we need to take you to the APU, which stands for arrest processing unit. So they actually take me to the back of the building, put me in a paddy wagon, like in the back of this, like police van, no seatbelts. I like was so close to like pulling out my phone and like taking pictures of me in this paddy wagon they drive me to the apu which was only like two blocks away and they process me they take my fingerprints they take my picture and i'm sitting there in this like waiting area on this bench and this guy handcuffed to the bench is sitting beside me and as an intern i wore a shirt and tie to work at suncor so i'm sitting there like dressed up in a shirt and tie yeah with this guy that you know (laughs) He's cuffed to this bench and this and these other two women get pulled in and they're sitting on a bench like across the 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 aisle, I guess, in this little area. And they're cuffed to the bench as well. And one of them gets basically strip searched like right in front of me, uh, just that, like down to her like panties and underwear. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And this guy sitting next to me is like, hey, are you a lawyer? I'm like, no, I'm not a lawyer. Like, I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm under arrest. And I'm just like so confused, but at the same time, I'm kind of giddy because I know it's not like super serious, but right. I'm still being processed. Anyway, so like I'm there for three hours and I'm like, hey, can I uh, go to the bathroom? So I asked one of the guards, I'm like, can I go to the bathroom? He's like, yeah, sure. Just follow me. So we walk down this hall into this cell block. There's like 15 holding cells, like concrete cinder block cells with bars on either end. And he takes me to one and he like points at this little steel toilet on the floor in one of the cells. He's like, there you go. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to pee in there. He's like, dude, this is jail. I'm like, fair enough. Fair enough. So I go over and I kind of like pull my pants down a little bit and I pee in this steel toilet and it like echoes throughout the entire cell block. And I go back and I'm sitting in this holding area for another couple hours and so I all, I did all this on my lunch hour, keep this in mind. So I told my boss, I'm like, my, my car got stolen. I just have to go to the police station to figure this out. He's like, no problem. So after they processed me, they're like, here's another court date. You, know, you need to show up. You need to like plead guilty or whatever. So I get this new court date and then I head back to work. And I get back to work at like five, like right before my boss is about to leave. And he's like, what took you so long? Like, where were you? Like a little angry with me that I had taken such a long lunch. And I'm like, I got arrested and have been in jail for the last five hours. <laughs> and he couldn't, he couldn't stop laughing because he knew that it wasn't, you know, serious. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a felony or anything. 
but that's that's the day that my car got stolen and I, and I got arrested. Um, but I like I just kind of ate it up. It was a, it's a really good story because you know it didn't go on my permanent record and had to pay a five hundred dollar fine and, and whatnot. But that's that's and that's my story about about my um, criminal endeavors. That's amazing. That is amazing. You when when you talked about sitting there the exact same thought would have occurred to me that, you know, like kind of a little bit of giddiness because you know, like, oh, this is a good story. You know, like, I know I, you know, didn't really do anything. So this is just a good story now. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, wow. could you? That's crazy. Did you get your car back? So that was the second time that it had been stolen. Holy cow. Uh, it was a Honda Civic. Like yeah, okay, I was going to guess. Yeah. And there's like YouTube videos of like how to like break into it and steal it with a pair of scissors or something. Like it's just super easy to steal. And this time around, they they smashed it up really good. So it was it was written off. But That's amazing. Okay, well, uh, for, for the last little bit of the interview, I like to get into your future a little bit and hear, you know, what what your next plans are in our quick questions you mentioned you live on a farm you also mentioned that you want to move to costa rica so fill me in like long term what are your plans so like choosing hard things was you know hasn't stopped you know in calgary in 2015 we bought the house renovated it uh we moved across the country in 2017 and we moved on to a farm and i have no farming experience apart from growing up on farms with my grandparents you know I had to build a chicken coop uh, we have a bunch of chickens now and we're getting bees in in a few months and so these are just like hard things that you kind of just have to learn you know just a couple days ago we were sticking the innards of a chicken back up her hole where the eggs and poo come out essentially because she had a prolapsed it's called a prolapsed bend and my wife and daughters are all gagging and my neighbors there and we're like jamming this very graphic, gory, bloody thing back up into her. And I'm just like, what, like why? But I'm like, I, I really like these types of experiences because I just want to experience everything. And so farm life has been, has been hard, but very rewarding. I've had to learn how to drive a tractor. I learned, I got the instructions from the landlord via text message he's like you pull this lever and i'm like well i've driven a skid steer and a forklift i can drive a tractor and i've only hit a few things because the tractors are pretty powerful and you know i've you know damaged trees and nothing nothing of value yet but i really just enjoy doing hard things and and learning about myself and and these different things so the next move is to go to costa rica so in addition to moving across the country, I started an online business while we moved, which was an extremely hard thing uh, because I did all my marketing and getting to know clients virtually because I wanted to have kind of a flexible lifestyle to be able to move and and not be tied down to a, a space, um, an area. So I started that business and now I'm in the process of selling that business and starting a new business and hopefully transitioning down to Costa Rica in the next 18 months. And so, you know, for having a stable childhood with not a ton of adventure, 
I like want something different for my kids. I want my kids to do hard stuff and, you know, embrace what is, you know, this magical thing called life. Cause there's so much to experience. There's so much uh, beauty and, you know, challenges to, to help us learn and grow. And I don't want to knock on my parents for not providing more of that for, for us. Uh, as I said, my dad was an entrepreneur and he worked super hard uh, to provide for us, but it was, we had a simpler, easier life uh, in certain ways. And I just want something a little bit different. So, you know, forcing my daughters to, you know, clean out the chicken coop and feed the chickens and deal with a rooster that chases them around and, you know, picking up poop and, and all that good stuff. Cause I want them to, you know, do hard things to experience life. Hmm. I love that. I really like that. Um, at the end of every episode, I ask pretty much the same question, which is at the end of your life, when you're looking back on all of it, you've you know got your business up and running real well, you're living in Costa Rica, you know, you've had all these other experiences, anything else you want to do, you've raised your kids well and you know lived this full life of experiences what are you going to look back on with the most pride and satisfaction? Uh, giving more than I've taken, uh, you know, I guess one last story for, for this uh, episode would be in 2015, when we're renovating this house, we also decide to host a refugee family from, from Congo and which I thought would be a relatively easy undertaking, but it was probably one of the most challenging things that my wife and I have done together. Uh, you know, this was at the time of the Syrian refugee crisis, but they were Congolese and they weren't lumped in with the Syrians, but they were on the refugee list that the government of Canada had. And we picked them from that list right before it was flooded with Syrian families. So they came over five kids, no English, and they were living in a refugee camp for about 15 years before they moved. So they really had no basic skills. They had been cooking on a fire for the last 15 years. They had never had used a toilet. The kids, you know, aged 15, ages 15 to three had never used a toilet before. They had never used a bank before. They had never held jobs before. Like it wasn't like moving someone from, um, you know, Damascus, who had had all those experiences and stuff coming to Canada. It was like somebody who had grown up and lived in a refugee camp, you know, cooking on a fire, washing dishes in, uh, you know, in the river for the last 15 years. And it was so hard to like communicate with them and to support them and to teach them everything they needed to know in, you know, in a short six to eight month period. And so I just want to be remembered that I gave more than I, than I've taken. And hopefully, you know, throughout all these hard experiences, I've tried to give a lot um, back to, you know, either organizations through being on the board or, you know, just helping people move or helping people with their own renovation jobs on their homes. It's just, I want to make sure that I, I gave more than I've taken. I love that. Yeah. I really like that. And, um, well, with that, I just want to say thank you for joining me. Thanks, Alex. And thank you 
not just for listening to and supporting the show, but also for listening to the people around you. Remember to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.